I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. In the Pew ESV Bible, it's on page 741. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? The sermon series is entitled Meltdown. If you don't already have your Bible open to Daniel chapter 4, please go ahead and do so. We're going to be in this passage tonight as we study together. Meltdown. You know, all of us want to pretend like we have everything together. We're calm and cool and collected. It's good for business, right? You want, uh, as an employer, you want your employees to not constantly be losing their heads, losing their minds. As, as a family, you want parents to make sure that, you know, that they're calm, cool, and collected, that even when crises happen, that they don't just lose their minds, lose their heads. But sometimes in all of our lives, we experience meltdowns. Sometimes in all of our lives, we lose or give up control and we give ourselves over to emotions or to the events that are happening around us and we just become like a puddle of jello, if you will. Think about Moses a couple of weeks ago when he was so angry and frustrated with the Israelites in Numbers chapter 20 because they were whining and complaining again and again about how they didn't have any water to drink. And Moses, instead of speaking to the rock as God commanded him to, lost his mind and just temporarily decided that he was going to do things his way and he struck the rock. And sounds like in that passage that Moses kind of took credit for being the provider of water. He melted down. Or think about the disciples in the boat in Mark chapter 4 that we studied last time where Jesus was asleep on a pillow at the back of the boat and the disciples saw the water and saw the storm and these were fishermen who were used to being in a boat but these fishermen, they found that this was a terrible storm and they just couldn't believe that Jesus was still asleep and they woke him up and said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Instead of being calm, cool, and collected, instead of always having things together, there are times in all of our lives where we kind of lose it. Tonight we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, and I want you to notice as we study in this series that every lesson has to do with something else that's causing, that's precipitating a meltdown. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world. He's the king of Babylon. And Daniel 4 begins with the words of Nebuchadnezzar himself. If you're looking at Daniel 4, look at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, it reads, to all people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now that's strange. Here's a pagan king. Here is somebody who doesn't know anything about the one true God, but he decides that he's going to tell the world, all people's tribes and languages, about the one true God, the most high God. He says in verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You say, what in the world happened to Nebuchadnezzar? 
What happened to this proud man? This man who, if anybody had it all together, if any man didn't have things to worry about in life, it's this guy. He's got power, he's got wealth, he's got authority, he's got everything that people think they need and think they want in order to make their lives comfortable, in order to have things all together, in order to have all their ducks in a row. Nebuchadnezzar's got it all. By the way, we live in a place and we live in a time where we, much like Nebuchadnezzar, oftentimes look to our wealth and our prosperity and look to the, uh, the power that we have at our fingertips. We look to those things to manage the affairs of our lives with the idea that if we just have enough of those things, if we just have a, a good amount of those things, that everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna work out all right. And we need to learn the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learns in this chapter. And the lesson is the most high rules. God's the one that's on the throne. God's the one whose will is being done. As you read through the rest of the chapter, I'm just gonna summarize for time's sake. Nebuchadnezzar says that everything was going great in his life. Daniel chapter four, verse four. And he had a dream one night and the dream was uh, troubling to him. It kept him up. And so he called for all his magicians and astrologers and soothsayers and everybody that could, you know, the wise men of his kingdom. Nobody could tell him what the dream meant. That rhymes with what you read back in Daniel chapter two, if you've read the book of Daniel. Nobody can tell him, but Nebuchadnezzar remembers Daniel, the prophet of God. Somebody who Nebuchadnezzar says, in Daniel, there's the spirit of the gods. And so he calls Daniel and he says, Daniel, can you help me? And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed. And then Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what the dream means. And the dream is basically this. There's a great tree, it's massive. The birds of the air nest in its leaves and on its branches and underneath it are the beasts of the field and it provides for everybody. But there's a voice that comes and says, cut the tree down. And so the tree is cut down and it's bound with a, a bronze and iron band fitting. And then seven times pass over it until it knows that the most high God rules in the kingdoms of men. And Daniel, when he hears about this dream, Daniel is, is really reticent and it's fascinating to me. Look if you would at verse 19, Daniel chapter four. Daniel, as he, as he is going to interpret this dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he was dismayed, Daniel 4:19 for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king said, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's Babylonian name, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream meant. It seems that Daniel had developed an affinity and affection for Nebuchadnezzar. He cared about Nebuchadnezzar. And this was going to be hard for Nebuchadnezzar to hear. But here's what the dream meant. Nebuchadnezzar, there's coming a time when you're going to be driven out from among men and you're going to eat grass like an oxen, literally. You're gonna eat grass like an oxen and your nails and your hair are gonna grow long and you're gonna be like a, a, an insane person and that's gonna to happen to you until seven times pass over you and that number seven is God's number. In other words, this is God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. Seven times are gonna pass over you. It doesn't matter if it's seven weeks, seven years. That's not even the point. This is God's plan. This is God's design. And the reason for this is, look at Daniel chapter four, verse 25. So that you may know, Daniel four twenty-five, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
And the Bible goes on to confirm that this happens to Nebuchadnezzar after about a year. More about that in a few moments. That after a year, Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the palace of his roof in Babylon and he says, this is what Jeff read a moment ago, verse 30, is this not great Babylon that I have built by my power, by my might? Look at what a great place I've built. And the Bible says a voice speaks from heaven immediately and tells Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is taken from you. And Nebuchadnezzar goes and lives literally like an animal until seven times pass over him. Meltdown, loss of control, loss of dignity, loss of everything that Nebuchadnezzar thought was worthwhile. Angie and I were on our way home from services this morning and we witnessed a traffic accident, two cars in an intersection. It looked like everybody was okay. People were getting out of the cars and people were starting to dial on their phones and things like that. So we drove on. But those people woke up this morning and they didn't think that that was gonna be how their day turned out. They didn't think that was gonna be how their, their morning ended this morning. And sometimes in our lives, we're cruising along and we think we've got everything together and we think we've got everything under control and we don't know what we're about to run into. We don't know what we're about to hit. We don't know what's coming next. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Cruising through his life, not a care in the world, in charge of the world, not a thing to worry about. Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is taken from you. Let me share with you this evening four truths, four realities that all of us need to recognize lest we run into a meltdown like Nebuchadnezzar's. Reality number one is this. Brothers and sisters, everything is temporary. Everything. When we stop and think about our lives, we need to stop and remember that the things we spend time accumulating for ourselves, the things we take joy and pride in, those are temporary things. We don't get to keep them. Daniel 4 verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, it begins, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Daniel chapter 4 verse 30, the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon I've built by my mighty power and as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. He's looking at what he's got. He's looking at his stuff and he's thinking, I'm secure. I've got everything I need. Every eventuality, every contingency, every problem that somebody could possibly imagine, it's taken care of because I've got the stuff to take care of it. And he forgot that everything is temporary. Daniel 4:14, the decree of the watchers those servants of God that Daniel sees, chop down the tree, that's what they say, and Nebuchadnezzar can't do a thing about it. Brothers and sisters and friends, reality number one is that everything in life is temporary, and more than that, everyone eventually loses it all. All of your toys, all of your uh, accumulations, all of your wealth, all of those things, everybody eventually loses it all. The day is coming where those things will not be your possession anymore. And the Bible warns us with Nebuchadnezzar, with so many other passages about putting too much trust and too much hope in the things of this world. Luke 12, verse 20, you remember the rich farmer? He had a bumper crop and God said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you've accumulated for yourself? 
Or James 4, 13 and 14, what is your life? It's like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What are you really putting your trust in? What are you really putting your hope in? James would ask. Mark, uh, Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, what shall it profit a man, words of Jesus, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, everything is temporary and everyone eventually loses it all. You don't get to keep it. I don't get to keep it. Therefore, why should we put all of our trust and hope and joy in it? 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12 speaks about the end of time, the end of the world. It speaks about the heavens melting with fervent heat. And it talks about how if all these things are gonna be consumed with fire, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holiness and godliness? What kind of people should you be if the stuff that you have, you don't get to keep? Just like those people cruising through that intersection this morning and just like King Nebuchadnezzar 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, if we don't remember that everything is temporary, we may well experience a meltdown as we find out in all too painful a way that the things we trusted are really not worthy of trust. Reality number two, God opposes the proud. This is a major Bible theme, brothers and sisters and friends. When we are proud, we are full of ourselves. When we are proud, we think highly of ourselves. We look at what we've accomplished. We look at our achievements and our accumulations and we say, look at me. And by the way, we can be proud of a lot of things. I read a statement one time that has always stuck with me and it's really shaped my thinking about pride. Pride is not so much about just having, you know, a pile of stuff and saying, look at my pile. Pride is about my pile being bigger than other people's pile. Pride is about, you know, your intelligence, my intelligence being higher or bigger than somebody else's intelligence. Pride is about your ability and talent being greater and more recognized than somebody else's talent and ability. That's what pride is. It's about comparing myself to somebody else and saying, is this not great Babylon that I have built for my honor, for my glory? I mean, who in the world is going to say they've done something better than I have? God opposes that kind of attitude. Daniel 4, 17, the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to who he will. It's not about you, Nebuchadnezzar, and your ability and your intelligence and all those things. Nebuchadnezzar, it's about God. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have in your, in your hands that you didn't get from God ultimately? And if you got it from God, then you're supposed to manage it as a steward, not be proud of it and say, look how much more I have than other people. Notice in this chapter, in Daniel chapter four, the Bible speaks of God repeatedly as the most high. He's not just high, he is most high. Notice in this passage, it's fascinating to me that the word heaven is found 16 times. And often the word is describing the birds of the heavens. They fly around in the sky, but a couple of times it's describing God himself or the domain of God. Daniel chapter 4 verse 26, God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know that heaven rules. Daniel chapter 4 verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar is call, calls God the king of heaven. You know what God did for Nebuchadnezzar? He reminded him everything is temporary and God opposes the proud. 
I said this is a Bible theme, Proverbs 16, 18. Take this and memorize it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When pride comes, then comes shame. Proverbs 11, verse two. You start looking around at what you've got and what you're able to do, and you start thinking about how much better you are than other people. With pride comes shame, dishonor. Proverbs 6, 17, the seven things the Lord hates, one of those first things mentioned is a haughty look. Looking at other people and being puffed up and proud in your heart about that. Obadiah verses three and four, God speaks to the Edomites and says, though you dwell in the cliffs and the crags of the rocks and you think you're gonna be just safe and secure, the pride of your heart has deceived you, Obadiah says. God says, I'm gonna bring you down from your proud and lofty place. James 4, 6, even in the New Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And again, that's repeated in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. He resists the proud. When we allow ourselves to be puffed up and proud and we don't, we don't show humility, especially before God, we're headed for a meltdown, whether we know it or not. Reality number three, brothers and sisters and friends, God's truth, God's word is a gift. A lot of people look at the Bible, they think about what's written in the Bible and they think about it as a curse. This is really gonna cramp my style. This is gonna keep me from doing the things I want to do. If I did this, my life would just be drastically different. And what is God, some kind of a killjoy? Is he trying to hurt me? Is he trying to harm me? And the answer to all that is no, absolutely not. God is trying to talk to you like somebody that comes along and sees a little child playing in a mud puddle and says, I wanna take you to the beach and show you what real joy is all about. I wanna show you the ocean. God's looking at us as we live our lives and as we do things our way, and he's saying, listen to me. My truth is a gift. I'm gonna show you a, such a better way, such a good way to live. And that's what he does for Nebuchadnezzar. This pagan king who doesn't know God, God gives him three blessings in this chapter. The first blessing is the truth and the revelation. God didn't have to give Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Think about that. Here's a pagan king and God didn't have to say anything to him, but he does. And then God makes sure that Nebuchadnezzar has access to a prophet, Daniel, who can tell him what the dream means. Think about the blessing of having access to the word of God, the will of God. But not only that, look again at Daniel chapter four and notice in verse 29, excuse me, verse 27, God gives Nebuchadnezzar an admonition. What must I do? In Daniel 4, verse 27, Daniel gives him this advice, and his godly advice. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. God told him what to do. It doesn't seem that Nebuchadnezzar did it, or if he did, he did it for just a short time. Sometimes people repent like that. They repent for a short time, and then they turn back to the way that they were living prior. And then in verse 29, what did God give Nebuchadnezzar? He gave him opportunity. At the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar's walking on his roof, and he may have forgotten about the dream by this point, 
I've forgotten what I thought about last week. Nebuchadnezzar, after a year of running the world, literally, there he is walking on his rooftop and thinking about how great Babylon is and how great he is as a result. 12 months he had to think about the will of God. Brothers and sisters and friends, when the truth of God comes into our lives, it is intended by God as a gift. Acts 20 verse 32 calls the Bible the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. God's word is a gift to us. And we despise the gift of God at our great peril. Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. It's something worth holding on to. It's something worth keeping. John 8, 32, what's the truth going to do for me, Jesus? You will know the truth and it will set you free. Free from what? Free from sin, free from self, free from Satan, free from everything that works against us in life. John 17, 17, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. What does truth do? It makes us holy. It shows us how to live to please Jesus Christ and to serve God. Galatians 5, 7, the truth is to be obeyed. Obedience to the truth. It's a gift. God's given it to you. And just like that little child that's playing in a mud puddle, having a good time, an adult comes by and says, but the ocean's just a stone's throw over there. Let's go to the ocean. God's saying, quit playing in your mud puddle of your life and come over and I wanna show you something that's so much better. Here's my truth, here's the gift that I've offered to you. Live your life according to what I've written, according to what I've given you. It's a gift and if we don't recognize the Bible, if we don't recognize the truth as a gift, like Nebuchadnezzar, we're headed for disaster. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Peter says, summarizing, it's better never to have known the truth and after knowing it to turn back. I have a theory and it's just a theory. I think when people turn away from the truth because the truth was in their heart and mind, I think it'll never leave them alone again. I think that when people know what's right and they know what God's will is and they turn away from it willfully, defiantly, I believe it will never, ever, ever leave them alone. It would be better, Peter says, to be blissfully ignorant not so blissfully because you're still lost. It'd be better to stay ignorant than to learn the truth and then walk away from it because it's a gift. Reality number four, people in their right minds praise God. You wanna know what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world is that people don't praise God. What's wrong with the world is that people don't worship God. People don't give God the glory that is due his name. Read the Psalms. Ask the psalmist, what's wrong with the world? Give God the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what's wrong with the world. What does Jesus say? God's seeking true worshipers to worship him. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. John chapter four, verse 23 and 24. What's wrong with the world? People do not praise God. That's what's wrong with the world. And look at what God does from Nebuchadnezzar. Out of the lips of a pagan man who is proud and arrogant and nobody can reason with this man, God humbles him. And notice what the passage says at the end of Daniel 4. In verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. And here's what he did first. I blessed the Most High and I praised and I honored him who lives forever. Not only that, but in verse 37, 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. People in their right minds praise and give glory and give honor and give credit to God where credit is due. And you and I may be cruising down the road of life at 100 miles an hour, full of ourselves, without any thought about the God that exists and the God that wants our praise and deserves our praise. People in their right minds, people who are thinking right about life, people who have a rational view of this world and what it's all about, they praise God. Every single one of us needs to have a proper view of ourselves. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, Romans 12, verse 3. But every single one of us ought to have a proper view of God as well. His truth is a gift. His power is everlasting. His dominion is above all. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar, blindly, obliviously, stubbornly, proudly living for yourself. Turn your heart and your life and your mind to God. Humble yourself before Him and you'll find blessing. You'll find a relationship. You'll find life everlasting. If we can help you obey the gospel tonight or if we can help you by praying for you, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing.